In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, until the ages of ages. Amen. At the last session, we began to analyze the first chapter of St. James. We discussed in depth the first four verses, and we saw that St. James introduced himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not as his legal brother or the bishop of Jerusalem. We saw that St. Ecumenios said that if James is servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, this truly means that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ serve as a master to James, which means they are both equal and of the same substance and energy. St. James writes to the new converts around Jerusalem to have joy when different types of temptations and trials cross their path. These temptations are not caused by God. Their source is the environment or the devil. However, God permits these temptations to reveal to us our true colors, to wake us up. Now, if we hold on and persevere during these trials and temptations, then we become solid, stable Christians. We become people of faith, faith not only in the existence of God, but in the providence of God. St. James wants the Christians to be whole, complete, and full of wisdom. And this brings us to verse number 5, chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. St. James here gives the remedy on how to become whole and complete. If you lack anything, ask God, and he will help you become complete. The more complete we become, the more we please God. What is this wisdom that St. James is referring to? Is it intelligence or smarts? or letters. Many people today brag about their IQ or their children's IQ. And the word genius carries a lot of weight. No, I'm afraid wisdom is something else. Wisdom is not the collection of knowledge, but the application of knowledge. A wise person does not need to know a lot but to be able to use what he knows. Wisdom in the Judaic tradition actually means spiritual virtue. And more specifically, wisdom to know the will of God or discretion. To be able to decide at any moment what the will of God is. 
Further down, St. James will talk about the indecisive person who is like a wave in the sea. So it is extremely important to have wisdom today, to have discretion, to be able to discern this trial that came along my way. How is it going to help me? Why was this temptation given to me? And if you are wise and you discover why God allowed this difficulty or temptation to come along your path, then you relax. Your spirit is at rest. And when your spirit is at rest, you have peace, then you are complete. This is the wisdom that St. James wants us to have. To be able to once again realize that this temptation, this difficulty, this mess that I might be into, it's known by God. God is watching me at every moment. He sees exactly what's happening to me and for some reason that only the wisdom of God knows God has allowed this type of thing to take place in my life to help me God gives generously without reproaching to all who ask with simplicity The church fathers consider this wisdom or discretion the first virtue, the highest virtue. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Don't you have a wise person among you to solve your problem? But you Christians take each other to be judged by the courts of idolaters and Gentiles? This is the wisdom to discern the will of God in any given situation and to make a decision that is likable to God. The Greek writer Christovasilis narrates a small story of some refugees from Yanina, Greece. That's a northern part of Greece. And at some point, several centuries ago, there was famine in that area, and quite a few people from a village decided to travel to go to Constantinople to work. So these are people from the same village. They're very friendly, and they were all looking out for each other. They also took along a very young boy who lost his father some time before that and his mother could not go along so the young boy being probably 12 13 years old went along to earn some money and send it back to his widowed mother so they started out with a lot of optimism a couple days down the road where everything was going well a man walking up front dropped his money bag 
and someone towards the end of the group found it and the battle began. People started to divide and take sides. Half of the camp was saying the money belongs to him that lost it, naturally. The other half was saying no, the money belongs to the person who found it because if he did not find it then the money would still be lost. Finders keepers, losers weepers and so on. At some point some people from both sides pointed to the young orphan boy who was sleeping under a tree through this bickering. They said, let's wake up that boy. He might be able to help us. After all, his father was our judge and he was extremely wise. And who knows, maybe the boy learned a few techniques from his father. So they woke up the boy and they brought him in the middle of the camp. And he sat down and he kept looking at the people that had this difficulty for a long time. The audience became impatient and said, come on little judge, solve the case. The young boy looked at him very seriously and said, not until you promise me that these gentlemen will follow my instructions. After everybody gave him his word, the young judge stares at the plaintiff and the defendant, looks in the eyes of both of them, and after a few moments of time, he orders them, now get closer to each other. Get closer and give each other a Christian kiss. No way, the two people scream. The audience insisted. Fellas, the judge issued an order. So please follow it. When the plaintiff kissed the defendant, the latter said, My brother, the money belongs to you since you dropped it. And the plaintiff said, No, my brother, you deserve a portion of it since you found it. Case solved. This is the type of wisdom that we lack today. Our society lacks this wisdom because this wisdom is a gift from God. Today we are full of knowledge but very poor in wisdom. St. James advises us to ask God for the wisdom to be able to know what the will of God is in a given situation. And now he goes on to tell us how to ask God for that wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Believe and not doubt. Do we doubt? How do we doubt? Sometimes after we pray, 
we have the thought, did God really hear me? Maybe not. Or maybe he did, or who knows? When we doubt, we do not believe that God will give us what we asked. And how do we ask? Let's say that we ask God to cure us from an illness, and for some reason, we are not cured. Does that mean that God was not listening? Not so. God was listening, but his love decided that it would not be to our best interest to be cured. St. Paul says, I asked God four times to take this illness from me, and four times God said no. My grace is enough for you. This illness was necessary so Paul would maintain his humility and not fall into the sin of pride. If we ask that our son or daughter grow up to be an astronaut or a rocket scientist, God may not respond favorably to our expectations or requests for obvious reasons. But in spiritual matters, such as the sincere desire to spiritual maturity, the wisdom to know right from wrong, our wish to become stronger and love him more, could he ever hold these things from us? No, we should never doubt when we ask God about spiritual things which will aid to our salvation. Nothing pleases God more. He calls all for salvation. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open unto you. But we must clarify a few things here. Let's say that we ask God to give us the gift of prophecy. Is he going to give it to us? Even though prophecy or some of the other gifts are spiritual gifts. St. Paul says, ask more often for the gift of prophecy and he's having this conversation or he writes his letter to the to the Corinthians who are eager to receive gifts the gift of prophecy does not mean the ability to look into the future only but a prophecy is also the ability to speak about God's Word in the ancient Greek a prophet is not only a person that predicts the future but simply a speaker of divine truth. So if we ask for such a gift, is it possible for God not to give it to us? You might say, why not? We just said that God grants every spiritual request. Yes, but there are some gifts that are reserved, reserved for the benefit of the church. And there are spiritual gifts that refer to our personal salvation. So God can discern that he should not give us a gift that pertains to the benefit of the church, but instead he'll give us a gift that refers to our salvation. When I ask for a gift that will aid to my salvation, this God will grant to me always without exception. But let's have some discretion. 
we are not talking about material things, but spiritual things. Someone can be asking God to become a priest. And he can beg God for years with tears, with no success. God did not allow this person to become ordained. Question. Shouldn't this person question God and even doubt God? No, because the gift of ordination or priesthood pertains to the matters of the church. It has to do with the salvation of others and not with my own personal salvation. I certainly do not need to become a priest to be saved. As we know, a priest is responsible for the souls of his entire congregation and not just for his own soul. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I would rather have you ask for the gift of prophecy rather than tongues. And speaking of tongues, we remind our Orthodox Christians again that the tongues that are being spoken in today's Pentecostal congregations is clearly the work of the devil. The demons try to copy some of the mysteries of the church to deceive even the elect. Let's be very careful. Sometimes we bring some converts into orthodoxy, and that's great. And we hand them a couple books and let them on their own, and that's not so great. And these poor brothers go on believing that they have the gift of prayer, or they speak in tongues, and so on. No, tongues were only spoken in the church during the generation of the twelve apostles. After that, we see no evidence throughout the lives of our saints that the gift remained in the church. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It served its purpose to help the church in its embryonic stage. St. Paul says, don't brag, don't brag about your gift of tongues because it does not edify. The gift of prophecy edifies, it strengthens the church. So these are gifts that strengthen the church. They pertain to the church. If I cannot speak in tongues or prophesy or become a priest or a deacon, these things will not affect my personal salvation. What can make me lose my salvation? Anger, hate, misery, the lack of love. Love and faith will save me. These are gifts that will aid my personal salvation. That's why St. Paul left us the wonderful chapter of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. On these matters of personal salvation, St. James says that we should never doubt that God will always, always give us exactly what we ask. But for the men that doubts, that men should not think 
you will receive anything from the Lord. So the man who doubts will get nothing. This, I think, well, sometimes it's best not to think at all. On a daily basis, we can say, I think I did okay on that test, or I think I'm coming down with a cold. This type of thinking is harmless. But in matters of faith, we can think ourselves to hell. I think that Christ is God, or I think God created the world, or I think Christ may come back again. This is lack of faith. I am entering my personal opinion, or I'm being subjective in matters of faith. This is treacherous, and he who thinks that he might get something from the Lord, he will not because this doubt demonstrates lack of faith. This type of thinking is the beginning of heresy. And heresy is the attempt to explain matters of faith and mysteries by our logical thinking. In this respect, thinking is very dangerous. In our times, of course, we have the case of the know-it-alls, people that have all the answers. They create their own opinions about anything. God rejects these types of people being victims of pride. These thinkers of earthly wisdom who become legends in their own minds are present in every generation. They heard St. Paul in Athens, but they were full of irony. Ironically, 2,000 years later, St. Paul is known everywhere in the world. While the wise guys of Athens are nameless, we know nothing about their names. 2,000 years later, everybody knows St. Paul and what he was teaching. The names of the sophists of Athens and their memory has evaporated over time. This is what happens to people who prefer the wisdom of the world over the wisdom of God. They vanish. Their memory vanishes. Verse 8. So this man who thinks he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. A double-minded man is a person who cannot stand firm on anything, a person that cannot make up his mind. People like that are unstable throughout this, their entire life. In all phases of their life, in life we have to make certain decisions. Are all our decisions going to be correct? Certainly not. We will make a number of mistakes. Some people believe that if I don't make a decision, then I will not make a mistake. That's true. But show me a person that makes no mistakes, and I'll show you a man that does nothing. He's usually at a cemetery. This is also true in our everyday life. People cannot decide if they should get married or not. After 40, 50 years, they are still deciding. 
The game of life has boundaries. There's a time to go to school, a time to go to college, a time to get married, and so on. We are going to prepare ourselves for these things, but we will make a decision after a certain time frame. We will not act impulsively. We will not make a quick decision. We will weigh the pros and the cons. We will seek the proper advice, and we will decide promptly. Father Athanasios Mitilineos relates this story about his decision to be ordained. He says, when I was a very young man, I had a very high-pitched, very squeaky voice. My own father told me, my son, think about it. How are you going to chant? You know in the church you have to do a certain amount of chanting. How, how are you going to do that? Dad, I do not need to chant. I will just teach Sunday school. That's all, I, that's all I want to do. I want to teach our faith. So I wanted to serve God in some capacity. So I got started. And thank God I was able to chant and teach and yes, I did teach at the center of villages, what some people told me. With that kind of voice, only villages won't want you. True, and I did that. But somehow, I got started. There are people here that remember my voice, Father Athanasius says, and they happen to be visiting from Athens, and I'm sure they remember the quality of my voice. But I made the first move and God provided the rest. And after all this, I still contemplated for five years if I should become a priest or not. Not because I couldn't chant, no. But I needed to be very sure if God wanted me to become a priest. A statement that was helpful to Father Athanasius was from Saint Isaac the Syrian, who said, in matters of sin, you must repent, have a change of heart. But in matters that there's no sin involved, even though you may have failed, never look back. For instance, let's say that I became a priest and I'm facing some great difficulties. Things are not rosy. If I start looking back thinking maybe I made a mistake, what a mistake this was, then I will certainly ruin my life. If I have difficulties in my marriage and I start thinking, did, did I marry the right person or why did I get married? I could have been a monk, or single life would probably be better for me. Forget it, I will lose all the joy from my life, and I will live in unnecessary misery. No, pray, push on, and make the best of it. Saint, Saint Isaac the Syrian made this statement from the Spirit of God. 
and he agrees with St. James, who says that a double-minded man is unstable in every aspect of his life, in all that he does, not just in spiritual matters, but in our daily careers. If we cannot make a decision, then we will never amount into anything. It has been said that it is better to make a second-rate decision today than a first-rate decision tomorrow. Verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to boast in his high position, but the rich in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away in his business travels. And now we come to a new subject. As we discussed in the beginning, St. James touches on a variety of topics, summarizing some longer sermons that were given by him in all likelihood in Jerusalem. And now, having finished the subject of wisdom, we enter the topic of poverty and wealth. And that we will do at the other side of this cassette. Many people may feel bad or even embarrassed when their home is located in a poor neighborhood or when they do not have very expensive furniture and they are in a hurry to apologize for this and on the contrary, those that have money and means can gloat while receiving their guests in their luxurious homes. This is the type of thing that St. James wants to address here. He wants to set things straight, to correct the thinking of the Christian converts that may have found themselves in these situations. So the lowly brother should boast in his high position. The brother in humble circumstances means the brother who is down and out, as we say, the brother who has hit rock bottom, the victim of severe poverty, a person who's wiped out, a refugee, a person that has lost all his dignity. This is the brother in humble circumstances. So this person is supposed to boast about being destitute. How are we to understand this? I take pride because I'm poor? Well, let's see. There are some people that like to repeat this line. I may be poor, but I am honest. If we would take the time to analyze this statement in a psychological sense, the diagnosis would be this person suffers from an inferiority complex. This person does not feel good about his poverty 
So he attempts to mask his feeling of inferiority by stressing his honesty. This person cannot bear the thought that others may think that he's poor. So this is definitely not what St. James has in mind here. The poor brother should boast in his high position, meaning that he should take pride in the fact that God gave him the temptation of poverty. Is poverty a temptation? Is it a trial? Most certainly, because many times we lack some of the bare necessities of life. This would be easy if all people were equally poor. But what makes it extremely difficult, what adds insult to injury, what demoralizes the poor is the lifestyle of the rich and the famous living in sheer luxury. Some people cannot afford shoes, while other people jet around in Learjets and private yachts. If I am so poor that I cannot afford even a bike, I can begin to feel extreme frustration and deep resentment for this social imbalance. Poverty in this respect can be a tremendous temptation. Wealth can also be a temptation. Money can bring arrogance, pride. Wealth can lead to a sinful lifestyle, the lifestyle of the prodigal son. Money and power can make a man look at many other women, sometimes forgetting that he's married. And in general, affluence can lead to sinful hedonism, travels, and expensive nightclubs and country clubs. So poverty can be a temptation, but wealth can also present an even greater temptation. In the Old Testament, in the Book of Wisdom of Sirach, which is included in the Orthodox Bible, you will not find it in the Protestant Bibles, Bibles uh, that are sold in the everyday Bible bookstores in your neighborhood, because Martin Luther, amongst other things, got rid of at least 10 books of the Old Testament at the Reformation. One of these books is the Wisdom of Sirach, and there are several Bibles that include these so-called apocrypha or deuterocanonical books. Our church believes that these books are written by the Spirit of God and they are God-breathed, so to speak. So the wise Sirach wrote in this book, Lord, please do not make me poor or rich. In other words, don't allow me to be one or the other, because if I am very poor, I may become indignant. I may become resentful and curse my God. 
being of a weak nature. And if I become too rich, I may forget my God. So where is stability found? In having your daily bread and nothing more. Being able to make a living, neither poor always in need, nor rich with many possessions. To be able to make ends meet, to be able to pay our bills, as people say. This way, we avoid both of the above temptations of being too poor or too wealthy. So St. James here is directing this part of his letter to the poor brothers that cannot make ends meet. This brother should boast in his high position. This brother, St. James is directing this letter to brothers, to the faithful, because there are certain truths of the faith that are reserved only for the faithful. They're hidden somewhat and coded so only those inside the faith would be able to understand. It is true that some of these words will not be understood very well if they were heard by worldly people. People that do not have the Spirit of God will not be able to understand some of these concepts. Christ said, do not throw your pearls to the pigs, because once they see that they are not acorns, they are not chewable, but stones, pigs as we know like acorns, then the pigs will squeal at you and push you to throw you down. In the same manner, there are some things that we cannot discuss with people that do not have the Spirit of God. They will never understand. Go out into the world and announce, let the poor brother take pride in his high position, or blessed are the poor. People will think you are crazy. Only the brothers who understand the gospel or understand that the gospel is a gospel of the cross, those people will accept this type of teaching, and these are the brothers that St. James is writing to. This gospel of the cross has been rejected by Western Christianity and from most of us Orthodox. So the poor brother who can patiently carry this great cross of poverty, who can withstand this great temptation without grumbling, this brother will develop into a virtuous Christian so he can boast because his low position materially has elevated him to a high position spiritually. As we know, the spiritual life presents a path full of roadblocks, full of obstacles. God says that you must begin your walk and try to reach the end of the road. Now I can trip and turn back, meaning that I could not overcome 
one of the obstacles, I became scandalized, I lost my faith, and I turned back. Or I can overcome all these hurdles by successfully carrying my cross and reaching my destination. Many of our Christians are not aware of these realities. The realities of the narrow and sorrowful path. Poverty, for instance, is a difficult path. Now, if I do not become indignant, and if I realize that this temptation was given to me as the means to help me increase my holiness, then I can boast for being poor because God made me poor out of love to help me become more spiritual, more holy. So I can boast in my high position, meaning that this poverty was the cause for my increased holiness. This is the type of stance that the victorious Christian will take in front of all trials, such as loss of employment, a disease, loss of a family member. He does not look back. He does not drop the gospel when things get tough in all aspects of life. St. James here touches on poverty. And poverty is a universal problem. It always has been. Even today, two-thirds of the Earth's people are hungry. The statistics of hungry victims are astounding. Our hemisphere here is well off. The West is well off. We don't know if that's going to be the case tomorrow. Only God knows that. St. James, inspired by the Spirit, talks about the poor because in his time there was severe poverty. And usually it was the poor that accepted the gospel. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, meaning exactly that. St. Luke says, blessed are the poor, period. And to stress that this is exactly what he means, he adds a few lines farther down, woe to those that are always full, those that keep their bellies constantly full. Most of the listeners of Jesus were from the classes of poor, the classes of the poor. The fish and the bread that Jesus used to eat was the food of the poor because they simply fished their meals out of the lake. When our Lord blessed the fish and the bread, he was blessing the food of the poor. So St. James wants to address the poor of his time. So if anyone has the temptation of poverty, to accept it was a blessing from God, an opportunity to increase in holiness and virtue. But how many of us today understand these lessons? 
how many of us in America even entertain the idea of possibly becoming poor. In a country where we spend millions of dollars a day for pet food, millions of dollars for excessive toys, truly the nations, the wealthy nations of the world could very easily wipe out hunger overnight. But it is becoming more and more obvious that in the absence of the Holy Spirit, science will continue to be a nightmare for our planet. Poverty will always be around because the world has not accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are living luxuriously, but at least let's not become attached to these things. We may lose these things someday if God chooses to send us the temptation of poverty. Let's stand well and let us humbly accept whatever happens to come our way. We must learn to show complete faith in the providence of God. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.